The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we take a look at the happenings in the marketplace, we're being joined today by Arlen Suderman of FC Stone. And I think first and foremost, Arlen, as we kind of look at these markets, nice to see corn and beans holding to some positive numbers today. Yeah, I'm sure that made farmers at the Farm Progress Show a little happier as they stopped by the various booths that had monitors to see what the prices were doing. And I think a lot of it goes to the corn uh, market. The December corn contract uh, earlier in the day reached down within a half cent of the May 13 low. May 13th is kind of when we put in the bottom of the market and suddenly the market started worrying about the unprecedented weather problems we were having for planting this year's crop. So we went down there to that low, came within a half cent of it. The selling dried up at that level. And so then we start seeing some profit taking on short positions, some bottom pickers coming in and uh, gave some, uh, some rise to the market. That gave some support to soybeans then as well. Does that mean that we've hit the bottom? I don't know. We'll probably, we're coming up on first notice day on Friday for deliveries against the September contract. That could provide some support as well going into Friday. Um, but then we'll, we'll have to test the conviction here. I so far do not sense any real change in market sentiment. We did hear uh, USDA Secretary Purdue say today that President Trump was about to announce some uh, strategies for supporting biofuel production, trying to soothe some of the anchor in farm country over the recent waivers that were granted to, to refineries uh, on blending. So fundamentally, there's a little bit of support there. Uh, but otherwise, I think this is mostly technical in nature. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we go back down and test these lows. Um, but right now, it's a positive and raising some hopes that maybe we have a double bottom on the charts and can build on that, particularly if we start to see yield estimations drop in the September crop report and beyond. You know, as you talk about the the talk and the, and the thoughts of that we might be seeing something come from the president. There's been, seems to be a big push coming from congressmen and senators and putting pressure on the White House. It doesn't remember, matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat at this point. Well, absolutely. Certainly both parties have realized this is an election issue in a critical time in the, in the election process in agriculture and the battle for the rural states. And it's been a long time since the rural states have mattered this much in politics, um, but ever since they helped push President Trump into office in 2016, uh, both parties have seen their value and are listening more. I think uh, President Trump miscalculated what the impact on agriculture would be of the waivers this time around. I think he was caught a little bit off guard uh, and uh, so now is trying to recover from that and it's going to be critical that he does recover from his campaign standpoint so uh, personally I'm looking for something that will be fairly strong they know that they they got to get it right the first time now on uh, on the response to the anger 
uh, to win the farm vote back over because uh, they may not get a second chance to do it. So I'm anticipating that it'll be something fairly solid. And uh, I guess we'll, what we'll get to test is really the strength of his cabinet being able to come up with solutions. Uh, if it is strong, then that should support demand uh, for corn and, and probably for soybeans as well. In the meantime, are we going to continue to see those poor margins for ethanol? Yeah, I think the poor margins are probably going to be with us for a little while. Um, it, one of the concerns is, and, and I've been in the camp to believe that this year's yields are lower than, than what USDA is currently showing. And if that's the case, then we're likely to see higher prices depending on how much lower they are in the months ahead, which would hurt those ethanol margins. So the question comes down to demand for the ethanol. If we would see something that would raise fuel prices, make ethanol, uh, improve the uh, blending margins for ethanol, that would certainly help. Something that would create more demand for ethanol uh, and or biodiesel would certainly be a uh, positive as well. So we'll have to see what the president has in store that might do that. Um, but otherwise, these margins look to be in, in poor condition until we either have lower corn prices or higher demand for ethanol. So I'm curious, with the current cooler conditions that we've been seeing in the Midwest, is that causing for any market concerns? I think it is going to be a problem. And as I look at other delayed maturity years, one of the concerns you get is if the temperatures are too cool, you run out of heat units to finish the crop. Now, corn always seems to find a way to reach black layer, but sometimes at high moisture levels, which results in a lot of shrinkage in the bin as you dry it down and lower test weight. So you run into quality problems. Soybeans, the concern is that you simply quit putting pods on. Uh, Monday's USDA Crop Progress Report showed 26 million corn acres still in the blister stage, which means they can still abort kernels. And in some areas, we're seeing the anecdotal reports now of kernel abortion exceeding expectations because these plants are under some duress. On soybeans, 16 million acres still not starting to set pods as of August 25th. Cool nights, a serious stretch of cool nights below 60 degrees, as much of the Midwest is facing now, goes against or, or suppresses that pod set. So those are some big concerns I have for this year's late crops. Lots of things to keep an eye on. Stick around, folks. Of course, we're going to find out happenings on the livestock side, as well as we get ready for part two. We are at the Nebraska State Fair. Have some cattle questions I needed to pass along to Arlen as well from some producers here. Stick around. More is coming up. It is the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Arlen Suderman joining us for part two. I'm at the Nebraska State Fair. And Arlen, I think we're going to start out on that livestock side. Um, the fact that producers here are talking about the Kansas cattle fire, the increase in the numbers that we saw post-fire, and how everybody's been able to keep it up. Um, they wanted your thoughts as we've been, you know, now two weeks post out, what your thoughts are and how it's been affecting and could it continue to affect this market trade? Yeah, a lot of cattle feeders are pretty upset with uh, what's going on with the prices here, and, and we may not be done with the, the suppressed prices as a result of that fire. As we look at the slaughter that took place ahead of the fire, 
it was at 647,000 head. Now, that Tyson plant had 6% of the nation's uh, slaughter capacity, so the fear is, oh no, how in the world are we going to get cattle slaughtered? So the futures market collapsed, product prices soared, and packer margins really soared, exploded higher, so to speak, up to around $450 a head. Well, at $440, $450 a head, and those are estimated packer margins, but at margins like that, packers can afford to do a lot of things to still pull in the cattle. We heard stories of cattle being transported from the high plains to California to get slaughtered because the margins were so profitable they could do so. So they had incentive to pull cattle forward to do whatever is necessary to run as many cattle through their plants as possible. So the following week after that fire, we actually increased slaughter to 651,000. The week after that, 654,000. This week right now, it's looking like that may pull back a little bit to 645,000 head, but that still essentially matches the week prior to the fire. So why haven't cash cattle prices going higher? One of the reasons is the number of cattlemen who had hedged their price on the board. With the hedges now being very profitable, they're able to capture very positive basis. That is providing an incentive for them to move cattle at these lower offered cash prices. So until we kind of get through that, we may not see the cash. That may slow the process of getting the cash market back up there to where maybe the fundamentals would justify. Some interesting things to think about, and we've seen kind of the futures higher on the midday today. Is there some underlying support that you're seeing working back into the live cattle market? A little bit. Uh, certainly with the August contract that will be expiring this week, it has to kind of come together with where the cash market is at. But the deferred contract certainly did see some of the weakness and continuing to be in there. Um, not a lot of movement, but a little bit of weakness there. And feeder cattle had been higher earlier in the day and then ended up lower with the strength in the corn prices. Look over to the last, or the hog side of the trade. As we always do on a Wednesday from you, we kind of get some updated information as to what you're hearing on African swine fever. I know that Bank, for example, sent out a study this week and released that to the media. But as you look at it and continue to see its effects on the market. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what that report did, and, and Robo Bank numbers have been pretty similar to ours overall, um, showing the spread of African swine fever in China continuing to spread, um, and not only in China, but in countries surrounding China and also in Russia um, and in Ukraine. And I think I mentioned last week that the largest hog operation in Ukraine, 95,000 head, uh, reportedly has been hit. Um, so we're continuing to see that, and I think uh, increased risks now for Western Europe. And Western Europe is the larger, largest exporter of pork to China, has been. Um, so if, in fact, the disease were to get into the domestic herds in Western Europe, here again, that would be another blow to China. Um, so some real concerns about that. Trade relations don't look real good for the United States and China at this point, but China needs the meat, particularly they prefer the pork. So if they buy from others, they're going to be squeezing customers of those other sellers to come to the United States. So it's one of those cases where 
we have a global shortage of pork. Essentially, a quarter of the world's hog supply has been eradicated by this disease here over the past year. And so that eventually is going to strengthen, is expected to strengthen U.S. demand for exports of pork which raised pork prices domestically, which caused consumers to shift to poultry and beef, which raises the prices of poultry and beef. I think we're still on the front end of this, and we expect to be a, a situation that goes on for a number of years. Are we going to continue to see, the, the, I mean, Japan has said that they're going to have an agreement in place. China is now questioning the conversation that supposedly happened over the weekend, adding more pressure to both cattle and beef the rest of this week. Yeah, I think the overall trade sentiment is going to be negative. Positive with Japan. I think that's a positive overall, although the details aren't out yet. But overall, the China story continues to be a cloud. All right, sounds good, Arlen. Best way for folks to get a hold of you? INTLSCstone.com. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.